close call with death. Have you had one? I have. I've actually had a lot of them, but who's counting? In this session, we'll talk about the events of those of us that have come dangerously close to death and have the great luck or destiny to elude death and carry on. Enjoy the show. So today with me, I have Mike Jones. Mike is a new friend of me. He's a neighbor and has just come up here from Arizona, lives with another friend of mine uh, in their home while he's advancing his professional career here and uh, getting some new certifications and trainings and, and things like that experience to advance his career. I met Mike through my friend who lives here in the neighborhood who said, Mike really has had some challenging situations in his life where he could have absolutely um, died and has had a close call with death. And that his story's in, intense and incredible. And, and uh, he's a resilient man to this day as a result of even the challenges that, that he's had. So I definitely wanted to get Mike on the shows. And that's who I have in my chair today. And I'm really grateful that you're here with us today, Mike. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. Um, let's start out right out of the shoot. Just tell us a little bit about you and your background, your family, and what that looks like. Uh, name is Mike, 34 years old. Um, just came out here from Gilbert, Arizona. I grew up in uh, Southern California, out in Costa Mesa, Newport Beach area. And that is where you met my neighbor friend. For uh, You know their family. Mm -hmm. That's how. Yep. Good family friends. Uh, actually grew up with his younger brother, mm -hmm. uh, Chris, um, since middle school and up playing football together and yeah. So you go way back. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Those connections, Long you time. never know for sure how they're going to play out and how your, um, circles, your life is going to circle back around and, and, um, you know, be around them in the future. So, uh, glad that you had that connection you're here today as a result of it. Oh yeah. So <laughs> anyways, yeah. Tell us more about your family. Yeah. Um, so I have five kids. They're, uh, still back in Arizona, which, you know, it's a little tough being away from the family, but you know, I bet, you know, with the, with the goal in mind, you know, it, it'll be worth it in the long run. For sure. Good. And you only have a couple more months or a few months left here in that training to where you can get where you're going and, and uh, hopefully uh, to go back with a, a better opportunity or bring them maybe here to Utah. Exactly. You know, that that's something that we're in the discussion of, yeah. you know, trying to figure out what's best for the family. But, you know, uh, I fell in love with Utah. Nice. Yeah. What isn't there to fall in love right. with Utah? <laughs> <laughs> so, Good. Such a beautiful place. Yeah. Well, um, Take us down your, your life uh, path, you know, and, and tell me what sort of things did you feel like you really had a close call with death? Honestly, um, you know, I've had close calls since, since I was really little. Um, my parents actually met each other at a homeless shelter. They ended up, you know, having my older brother. And then I came along shortly afterward. Mm -hmm. Um, the relationship was pretty strained from the get go. Um, my mom actually ended up kidnapping me and my brother when I was about two, um, with some crazy dude who was on drugs and, uh, yeah, she, uh, kidnapped us and we were on the run for about a year to where, so 
you know, when you say, Mike, that she kidnapped you, did she take you out of the state where you were and, and take you, you know, across borders or what? No, no, we, we were still in California, but okay. she just up and left. And uh, the dude that she ran off with, he was, uh, he was a pretty bad dude. It was a situation to where, you know, she, she was told that if she ever went to the cops or tried leaving, he would kill her, kill me and my brother. Um, to where, you know, the, the conditions that we lived in was, was pretty horrendous. Um, I remember being locked in, uh, closets or bathrooms, at motels, you know, for days at a time, complete darkness. Oh my gosh. Um, we, did you have a chance to have anything to eat or drink in there the whole time or no, which was kind of interesting, you know, when, uh, when we were finally rescued, um, me and my brother's hair uh, was actually falling out because of malnutrition. Mm. Where, yeah, you know, they said if we would have gone another day or two, yeah, you would have been dead. We we would have been dead. Oh, that's just a heartache, you know. When you hear you see these things on TV and television shows and um, police shows, and and they break in and and uh, rescue the kids and. I've never known anyone that's really gone through that challenge and ordeal personally. And man, I'm sorry that you've had to go through that. That's, that's rough. So mm. d- tell us more about that. Um, how long did that go on? Uh, that went on for probably about a year, year solid. Um, you know, it, it's kind of crazy to think about, you know, at two years old, most people don't, don't really remember <laughs> too yeah. much of that, but you know, I, I have very vivid memories of, you know, things that I had to endure during that time. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, uh, let's talk about that. Yeah. Honestly, there, there was a lot of, uh, physical abuse that went on to keep us quiet. Um, yeah, honestly, I mean, just being, <laughs> just being locked in a closet for days at a time, complete darkness, you know, was how, how old were you then? About two. Two. Oh, my gosh. And you and your brother, you say? Mm-hmm. And how old was he? Uh, he's a year older than me. So a two and a three-year-old in the dark, in the closet for days. And what did you do? I mean, were, did you cry? Were you just calling out for your mom? What, what does a two-year-old do in that situation? Yeah. Honestly, I mean, it got to the point to where if I started crying, then I would get beat. You know, <laughs> you know, to where I remember having duct tape put across my mouth and you know, <sighs> to keep us quiet. There was a, there was a, some molestation that went on as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. that we had to go through. The guy was, I mean, call it what it is. He was a psycho. <laughs> For sure. You know, what? About your mom? I mean, did she try and stop him? Was there anything she could do? No. And honestly, you know, I I found out years later that she had some mental health issues herself to where, Mm -hmm. you know, I think she was, she was crazy too, you know. Okay. So let's talk about the rescue. Who rescued you? How'd that go down? So it was uh, very interesting how we were rescued. So my uncle at the time he was living in a uh, San Bernardino and uh, he was a security guard 
he actually had a, a reimbursement check for uh, gas that he got randomly throughout the week, you know, to where it wasn't his typical paycheck to where, you know, he needed the cash. So he ends up going to the bank. Well, my mom just so happened to be <laughs> at the bank trying to cash a bad check, a fraudulent check <laughs> at the same time to where um, my brother was actually with her at the time to where I was back at the motel locked in the closet. Mm-hmm. And uh, my brother ran up to my aunt and my uncle. And yeah, at, at that point, you know, the, my, my grandma... And my aunt had hired uh, private investigators, like people had been looking for us, you know. Yeah. For, yeah, you know, about a year, <laughs> you know, where they had almost given up at that point. So in the area where that was going down, did they have like posters of your faces or anything like that out on, you know, public locations so oh, yeah. that people could be keeping an eye out on you or oh definitely definitely and amber alert was it before that was out i'm pretty sure that was yeah prior yeah mm-hmm. before that so there fortunately we have the amber alert today that we can really let people know and everyone in the community can be looking for a certain description but back then it just didn't happen yet oh yeah so it was just old school posters people word of mouth looking for you guys exactly and it had gone on for over a year mm-hmm. private uh, investigators definitely probably around. thought you were gone oh yeah yeah they didn't know if we were back east somewhere or yeah so your brother ran out and and saw your other side of the family and, yeah. and told them what was going on oh it, it was like instant like yeah my uncle broke down and just like took him called the cops the cops ended up coming and, uh, yeah, they, they went over to the motel and that's when I was rescued and was, busted in there and found you in the closet. Mm-hmm. Oh man. How do you cope with that as a little kid? When that happened, talk about the next step. Once you did, did you go to that, you know, to your uncle's family or, or so, what? uh, my dad's sister uh, and my grandma actually adopted me and my brother just mm. because it was to the point to where if they didn't, we would end up uh, being separated in foster care, mm. coming wards of the state. So very fortunate. <laughs> they stepped in. Yeah, exactly. And, and adopted you. My, my aunt was 18 at the time. Oh, yeah, Just a kid herself. Yes, for sure. And they took you in. Mm-hmm. Instant family of two that joined them. Um, that's courageous of them, you know, to to step up at that moment. I bet you're very grateful. Are you still close to this day? Oh yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Um, yeah. And looking back, you know, I I was an angry kid, angry at the circumstances. You know, I, I think. Uh, that really drove me um, just because, you know, I felt so weak within that moment that, mm. you know, I decided, yeah, I'm not going to be a weak individual to where, you know, I kind of used anger as a way to kind of cope with those horrific things. So how through. did that anger come out? What did you do? What sort of things did you do? 
I got in a lot of fights. There's a lot of fights, a lot of arguments, a lot of, I don't know, acting out, kind of doing things that I wasn't supposed to. Did your brother do the same? Uh, Not so much. Not so much. Honestly, looking back at it, I think I probably took, you know, the grunt of most of that abuse Mm -hmm. that happened during that time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so hard. Um, so, going through growing up as a little kid, you were just angry and you fought. And um, was it tough on your aunt and uncle that took you in? Were you was it hard for them to deal with you two boys? It was. It was honestly, <clears throat> you know, I love them to death. But you know, I feel like once once they had their kids you know, my sisters that, you know, I felt loved, but it wasn't the same. You just always felt like an adopted child. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Probably felt very isolated, very, yeah. You know, I remember certain like family vacations <laughs> to where we were excluded from or things like that, you know? And I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think that kind of fueled that anger as well. Sure. You know, which kind of like, I really didn't feel like I had a place, you know, very fortunate enough to not have been raised in foster care, but at the same time I felt isolated and Mm -hmm. alone through a lot of that, which, you know, as I got older, I mean, I left home when I was 16. Where'd you go? Um, Ended up working and uh, got an apartment with some of my buddies that were older. Um, actually joined a gang at one point. And I heard a little bit about that. Tell me about the gang activity. What? So this is at what age? Um, probably around 16, 17. 16, 17. Okay. So... Describe that. What happened? How did you get involved with the gang? Um, what did you do in the gang? Things like that. Honestly, uh, it was actually one of my really close buddies at the time to where, you know, he kind of started going through it. And his mom had died from cancer and he went through some things to where at the end of the day, I feel like we were kind of seeking acceptance in people and things that we weren't getting at home. You know what, Mike, talk about that too, about the feeling of being in the gang, why you're in the gang. Um, because I've heard rumors of why, what people feel like, why they go there. And oftentimes I've heard that is because they're not getting the love and support at home in the home unit. Um, that's why they go to friends or friends that are involved with gangs because they all feel like a brotherhood and that they're all accepted in there. T- talk about that. Oh, exactly. Honestly, I mean, my violence was <laughs> a bad thing. Like it was like rewarded, like, like, Oh yeah. You know, the bigger, badder and tougher you are, you know, the more street cred you get and higher up the ranks. What sort of activity were you involved with in the gang? Oh, selling drugs. Um, pretty much fights. I mean, I've been in shootouts, been in stabbings. I mean, 
talk Cheers. about that. Oh yeah. I mean, because honestly, I, this is enlightening to me. I've never talked to anybody that's had this sort of involvement. You just, once again, you hear about these things on TV and you see shows about it and everything. I haven't had an opportunity to sit down with a human being and talk to him, look him in the eye like I am you today and hear about what sort of things you go through as a part of a gang and how that affects you in your life. So talk through that with me. I would say a common thing is retaliation. An eye for an eye, you know, rival gang, you know, jumps your, jumps your homeboy, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, you see justice. So now you mess up two of their guys. Three other guys. So it can't be just saying an eye for an eye. It has to be something better or bigger. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. You know, I remember, yeah, my buddy getting clocked in the back of the head with a baseball bat walking down the street. Some dudes just jumped out of the car and just cracked him, split his head open. He went down and you were right there with him. Uh, Not at that time. He was alone, but he came back, pretty much rallied the boys. We all got together and. Yeah, found out where these guys were and got out and yeah, put in work. <laughs> A lot of bloodshed. What about gun activity? Were you, were you guys armed at, at times too? Uh, typically, typically I, I always had a thirty-eight special tucked in my waistband, and mm-hmm. I always used a revolver just because yeah, you wouldn't spit out uh, shells. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. And leave a trace behind, Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, never jammed. Always uh, (laughs) a reliable weapon. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, the biggest thing in the street, too, is, yeah. I mean, you know, if there's no uh, shell casing to match with the bullet in ballistics, they, they couldn't prove where the gun came from. Sure. And... For those gun enthusiasts and gun uh, people that don't want the Second Amendment and don't want guns and everything, um, people on the streets, gang people, where do you get the guns? How do you how do you how do you find them? Where do you get them? Just you know, through people you know, just through the hood, through the gang. Oh yeah, exactly. Honestly, they, I, I had no clue where the gun came from. Yep, but, but you just talk to somebody, they they hook you up. Oh yeah, exactly. And, whether um, or not it was stolen or, or what. Yeah. So. But yeah, I, I've been in, been in a couple shootouts. Talk about that. Um, I remember one, you know, we were, uh, down on Bristol street in, uh, Santa Ana. So every Sunday night, you know, during the springtime, you know, you got all these low rider cars, all these muscle cars cruising down the street, down the street called Bristol. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember we were uh, at a Seven Eleven, ending up picking up some beer, and uh, yeah, a rival gang ended up pulling up in the parking lot, and they hit up my buddies. You know, like, oh yeah, what, where are you from? You know, and. Uh, Dude actually pulled a pistol on my best friend and actually, <laughs> yeah, was uh, taking a whiz out by the dumpster and mm-hmm. yeah, pull, pulled out my firearm and, you know, started shooting before uh, they could. Did you hit the target? I mean, did you hit them? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened after that. I wasn't sticking around to, to find out. But. Yeah. But you shoot them and you drive the heck out of there and get away. Oh, yeah. And you just hear through the grapevine, through word of mouth that, I mean, when does it stop? When you shoot them and then now are they going to try and shoot two of you to make up for the person that they got shot and they're on and on. It never ends, right? It never ends. Constantly looking over your shoulder. That is so harsh. It's just so like you can't relax. It's never a good day. Nope. Hmm. Is that gang activity still as prevalent? It's still going on there as it did back when you were young and involved with it. Yeah, I, honestly, probably worse. I feel like this younger generation, the the value of life is is almost non-existent. Well, Everyone's yeah. trying to make a name for themselves. Everyone's trying to, you know, come up, be top dog. Mm-hmm. And just not be taken down. Um, do you think that this last year of COVID uh, weighed heavily on people's psyche in the cities and, and uh, created a lot of disruption? Or is it just doesn't matter what it is, it's still going to be just, you know, gang war? Honestly, uh, I feel like it's probably been the same. Yeah. Nothing really changes. It just keeps on going. Exactly. Anything can stop it? Like, is there any hope for... Gangs in the future, cities in the future to kind of improve the situation and have less violence on the streets. I think people need to raise their kids. I think, you know, in those instances, the things that drive people to the gangs can be addressed at home. I think more in positive male role models for these kids. Mm-hmm. You know, whether or not that is, you know, through the community kind of reaching out to a lot of these guys. They just need the family unit to love them from the very beginning and give them the base and support and love that they needed from the very beginning, right? So that they don't have to go to the streets and look for people to embrace them. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they're raised by a single mom, you know, yeah. to, where, to where she works, two jobs, three jobs. So that single mom is a working mom and hard to be a mother. Just she's working hard, trying to make ends meet, put some food on the table, a place to sleep, but no, no time to nurture. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about just beyond the, are there other uh, uh, moments where you really felt like you had a close call with death and just moving out of the younger Mike into young single adult or young, you know, life? Yeah. Um, so fast forward a couple of years, you know, kind of worked off and on, you know, since then. But, uh, you know, there's, there's been a couple points to where I've been a homeless, you know, kind of. Kind of living on the streets, you know, life uh, kind of beats you down a bit. Yeah. Getting laid off from a job, kind of losing, you know, that stability of a home tour. Yeah. I I remember, you know, there was a, there was an instance to where I actually 
uh, tried committing suicide <laughs> with, uh, with my revolver. And, uh, you know, I was sitting there and was going to end it. Literally had a gun in my mouth. Pulled oh. pull the trigger. Didn't go off. Oh, my gosh, Mike. Didn't go off. Like, What did you think in that moment? In that moment, I knew I was destined for something higher. My time here on Earth, that I wasn't ready. There was someone, someone looking out for me. Mm-hmm. You just felt that. Oh yeah. Hmm. That's incredible. It's uh <laughs> to where, you know, life gets hard and you know I I was quite a quite a bit of a partier too. Used to drink pretty heavily. Remember, you know, having my motorcycle and almost took it as a challenge, literally trying to drink as much as I can and see how fast I can take my bike down the highway. <laughs> No helmet, just almost laughing at death. Wondering when it it was going to take place. Mm -hmm. You know, so in those moments when you you stopped your bike and, and you got off and you went, oh my gosh, I am still alive. You put the gun in your mouth, you pull the trigger, you're still alive you feel like you know there's there's got to be more to life than this there there, i I should be dead and i'm not there's got to be more out there for me did that give you the the drive to pursue that and find out what is it man that i need to start doing how did you go from that point of pain into surviving the rest of your life that you have right now honestly yeah I, i feel like that was a kind of a big motivator, like, you know, <clears throat> trying to put meaning behind it all. Yeah. You know, honestly, I think, uh, that's what kind of pushed me towards the church is actually trying to seek that, you know, trying to figure out what my purpose is here. You know, what you mentioned the church, um, let's, let's make that a, a broad topic and we'll drill back down. Talk about church obviously is a way for you to worship God. Talk to me about what you feel. When did you first start really realizing that God exists and that he cares about you and that there's more to life than what you had grown up with and experienced in your young life? Honestly, you know, I think, uh, I think after becoming a father, I think after having my kids, it really, it really drove me to try and be a better man for him, mm-hmm. kind of give him the things that I didn't have and be there to support him and love him, you know, that way they wouldn't question that love. And honestly, I, I think that kind of kickstarted uh, my own personal uh, spiritual journey kind of trying to figure out who I am as a person, try and give meaning to it instead of just going through the day-to-day mundane to actually start living life mm-hmm. and finding joy. And yeah. So you have a relationship with God? I do. You feel it? I do. Oh, yeah. 
And honestly, you know, I was, uh, I was pretty hesitant to even come on this show, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, uh, you know, the goal for me was kind of, you know, being able to maybe help other people kind of going through some of these similar things. Like it's only temporary. You know, as bad as things get, it's like somehow you make it through it. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. So Mike, what do you think you can do to help others that have gone through really hard, challenging times and they're going through that right now or they have, or they're going to, what would you say to those people? How do you cope with that? And you've just started to say, you know what? It's, it's temporary. It's not, not forever. Give me some coaching on what you think, Mike Jones, on um, how you get through tough times and how can you keep putting one foot in front of another? Honestly, I think having that faith that things will get better, you know, that, you know, looking back, it's like (laughs) now when I'm faced with challenges, it's almost like, okay, it's like, well, I've made it this far. I've survived all these things up to this point. Yeah. As horrendous as they might have been, as difficult as they might have been in the moment, looking back, it's like, no, I, I still overcame that. I still made it through. I'm still here. I'm still breathing. You are indeed breathing. Got to keep on pushing forward. Yeah. You you know, you, you just got that light in your eyes now. And I'm sure for years it was out. It was dim. You, you were going through tough stuff. Um, Hey, you feel helpless. And honestly, I think, uh, you know, your pride kind of, (laughs) you know, pushes people away. Cause you don't want to ask for help because it's embarrassing. You don't want to talk about these things with people. Okay. So how are you going to, how are you going to change that now, Mike, with when do you think, because you had the experience that you do and you went through the things that you did, you're going to be able to look at some other people and see their struggle. And, and what, what are you going to do? Honestly? I mean, I've kind of already kind of started that with certain friends. It's like you can pick up on, you know, people's reactions, you know, people kind of check in on your friends, check in on your family, maybe have those deep questions, those, you know, maybe you have to get out of that comfort zone and ask real things, you know, real questions kind of get to the core. Not, not the superficial, like, Oh, Hey, how's How you it doing? Going? You know, how you doing? Like, yeah. Oh, I'm doing great. Yeah, works great. Blah blah blah. Oh, well, what else is going on? You know, absolutely. Ask the second question. You know, and and uh, I, I'm talking about how are you really? Are you doing okay? You know, I know people don't want to be picked on or or you know really die, dove into their personal affairs, but if the magic sauce, I think, is if they really sense that you have a genuine concern for them, you really care, then oh. people might open up. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. And honestly, it's a matter of peeling back those layers. What's that like for you now in today's world? I mean, you know, it's a work in progress, you know, but I think if you come from a place of love and caring for these people, it's like, yeah, you know, people might respond and they might not respond right away. But I think, yeah, like you said, sincerity is key for sure. 
talk about your kids, man, you got five children and you are probably the most coolest dad now um, because you you don't lock your kids in a bathroom in the dark. You don't leave them alone. You, you are there for them. What do you want to do to help them feel like they never have to go to the streets? They never have to worry about how you love them. I think acceptance is a big one. If they don't choose to live their life, how I decide to choose to live my life, Am I able to accept them in that? Would I be able to accept a gay child? Would I be able to love them just the same? Mm-hmm. Would I be able to love my children if they do end up getting on drugs and being a support for them? Because at the end of the day, they're their own people. I don't own them. But they're their own people. Yeah, you're only a steward over them. For the temporary time you have as a parent on this earth, you can just kind of like give them the best education they can to be on their own. And then you have to take the training wheels off. Exactly. I think, uh, you know, to a certain extent, it's like, yeah, you want to shelter your kids. You don't want them to see the ugly side of life. But at the same time, I think they should know some of the things that I've gone through, some of the struggles where maybe that might give them a little bit more insight into why you shouldn't do certain things. Sure. And that you actually have experience, you know, you you have street smarts, you've Mm -hmm. been there and not that all of us parents need to have that kind of street smarts, but we have friends like you that have gone down that road that we can rely on, you know, your help. If um, we need help explaining something. We have friends like you that have gone down that road and and we can lean heavily on maybe your experience, you know, to, to help us deal with the situation. We just need to, kids truly do get raised by a village anymore. Uh, They, they're raised by a family core unit. That's where they need to get their education and their love. And then Um, there are others that love them and care for them around that family that can help as well. We just, uh, we, you probably just don't want them to feel like they have to go to some kids on the street to get the kind of embrace and comfort and love and understanding that they need at home out there. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. I mean, the best you can do is, yeah, love your, love your kids. Mm Mm-hmm. Come from a place of love and understanding. So I imagine if I talk to any of your five, they're going to know that their dad loves them. I I would hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If they don't, I'll I'll beat them up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So um, now take me into, I I just want to kind of wrap things up with you by telling me where you're at now today how are you different, Mike, than you were in the, these younger years as young, tough Mike? How are you different today, and what would you do different? Honestly, I think as I've gotten older, I, I've been able to let go of you know, a lot of those things that were kind of weighing me down. Mm-hmm. I think through forgiveness, you know, forgiving my mother for putting me through those situations, forgiving my dad for being, you know, off, you know, <laughs> doing, doing dope and things like that, not being around, not coming to my f- 
football games or things like that as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, yeah, forgiveness and kind of accepting some of those bad things. Like, yeah, they happen. Because that takes some of the levity, there's some of the pain and, and heaviness on you, off of you, and you transfer that so that you don't have to deal with it anymore. Exactly. And honestly, you know, I think one of the biggest per, uh, perception shifts happened when I decided, you know, not to be a victim. Like, honestly, I felt like, oh, yeah, you know, I was just dealt a lousy hand. Like, well, this was the hand I was dealt, so this is all I deserve. I don't deserve anything more. But you do. Mm. And honestly, you know, I'm I'm very fortunate. You know, I was talking about, uh, you know, my buddy Chris earlier. But uh, I feel like he he was one of the first people to see something in me that I couldn't see in myself. You know, one of the times... You know, when I was homeless, he actually, uh, you know, he heard of it. He's like, oh, man. He's like, oh, you're living living down in the bluffs in a tent? Like, it's like, no, nah, man. He's like, dude, if anything, just start crashing out on my couch, bro. Like, mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, from there, yeah, he kind of gave me the opportunity to kind of get some things in order and eventually get into a place of my own and, you know. Start a family. Exactly. And now you're getting, uh, you're in um, living with uh, the Ryans and uh, here in Salt Lake City and uh, mm-hmm. in South Jordan, living with them for a while while you get your um, education in your appraising uh, career. And um, how cool is that to have friends like that, that where you have just an open arm, an open home? Honestly, I mean, it's pretty interesting. Because, you know, I feel like, yeah, that was, you know, the guy upstairs definitely had a hand in that. You know, it was uh, one of the instances to where, you know, honestly, not not too far back. You know, I, I was kind of kind of fed up and frustrated with the direction my life was going, mm-hmm. you know, to where I actually broke down and, yeah, actually prayed for an opportunity and... Next thing you know, have this opportunity to come out here. And yeah. it's funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah. So you know, again, you just you just touched on prayer. Um, something big has just recently happened in your life, and talk about that with your recent activity with with church. So I actually uh, was just baptized in the in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints mm-hmm. recently. Um, it was interesting because, yeah, I mean, like I said, in that moment of, you know, breaking down and praying, I prayed for guidance, you know, honestly, yeah, me and my kid's mother, you know, we're not married, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're going through our own struggles and, you know, kind of on again, off again and trying to figure things out, you know, things weren't, weren't, weren't good to where, you know, I was living with my buddy at the time and his family. And, you know, I just broke down and, and prayed, you know, for an opportunity for a change. And, uh, you know, I felt, honestly, I felt 
prompted to move out here, which sounds crazy. You know, I had a decent job, you know, decent salary position to kind of leave that to come in an apprentice under someone mm-hmm. for six months, you know, over 700 miles away from your family. It's a big step. You know, it, I think, uh, I think that was an act of faith in itself that things were going to work out. It absolutely is. Yeah. She felt in your heart it was the right, right move. It was going to be okay. Exactly. How's it been going? Uh, I'm, it's, it's kind of hard to describe um, the peace that it brings, the joy that it brings, being there for, for people when they need it, being prompted by the spirit to kind of, you know, look out for, for people and try and bring people closer together, bring people closer to Christ. You know, it, I think that's a very powerful thing. I know it sounds kind of funny, but you know, people keep on telling me I still have my baptism glow. <laughs> like, you like, do, man. Yeah, you do. Like a like a certain light permeating, yep. you know, a certain aura or whatever. But yeah. you know, yeah. Honestly, I mean, I think I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the future holds, but I just hope that you know. Maybe I can inspire someone, you know, maybe help them as they're going through some of these worldly challenges. And if anything, just be a friend to these Absolutely. people. Well, I hope a ton of people listen to this recording because um, it's going to give, you know, people hope and, and inspire them and lift them up and give them all kinds of feelings, you know, that they, they probably needed at the time for sure. Yeah, you've gotten through tough stuff, and it's good to see somebody be totally, you know, converted in their soul to um, let God in and help them. And I imagine you know exactly which direction to turn, who to look for, for help in the rest of your life um, at this point, going through what you just did. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Honestly, yeah, I consider myself lucky in that sense. To have been able to listen to the spirit kind of prompted me to come out on this journey. I know I, I joke around to where I feel like, yeah, I'm on my hero's journey right now. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> just, you are. Just, just just waiting for uh, you know my journey home. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's the rest of your life for good. And and you know what's interesting is that um, your God that you believe in has embraced a kid who is angry and fought and took his aggression out on other people who's been involved with the gang who probably smoked and drank did drugs bad things and he wrapped his arms around you he doesn't care you know he sees through and saw what you are that's that's touching i am you know i was talking about acceptance earlier you know with your children I think if with your children, if you can have that Christ-like acceptance of them, like I, I'm convinced you'll be all right. Absolutely. In closing, final thoughts. What would you like to put out there that you want 
you know, just other people to know that this from your heart. Honestly, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, just take it one day at a time every day. Try and be a little bit better. It's like, you don't have to be perfect. Luckily enough. Yeah. Luckily enough, you know, but you got to start somewhere. If you want change, I think, yeah, as small as it might be action, start working towards those things. Take that idea and put them to action. You know, maybe start writing stuff down. Honestly, I really got big into journaling, writing down my ideas because now they come from a thought to being something that's physical, that's tangible. Then you take that and turn that into action. Which, you know, it's been very beneficial to myself. Write your goals down. Write down your dreams. What you want to accomplish in your life. And then look for that to come true. Exactly. It's something to look forward to when you're going through these dark times. Mm-hmm. Something to work towards. There's a goal in mind. I, get, I don't know. For me, I think it gives you purpose. That's, that's fantastic. I love it, Mike. Well, um, thank you so much. Thanks for being on the show and for taking time for uh, reflection and sharing your experiences and um, becoming a part of your journey ultimately um, lets us in and impacts our lives. So thank you for being on the show. I really wish you the very best of not just luck, but best of life going forward that um, I want to see you back here um, years from now accomplishing your goals and, and, uh, being a happy man like you are today, but even, even on a grander scale, you're, you're a good man. You'll, you'll get where you're wanting to go. Oh, thanks, Bob. I really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. You betcha, bud. So until we hear from each other again, stay alive to tell about it. <laughs>